Welcome to Too Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech had its signing day yesterday. In fact, all of the nation did. And I have to say, I'm kind of excited about this 2017 recruiting class. Robbie, give us a cheers. Two components to this cheers. One, obviously, welcome to all the new Hokies that decided to come join us on what should be and we hope to be a glorious tenure for Justin Fuente. And second, and I'll steal a news and note probably from the next portion of this, is a hat tip to Marshawn Williams, who announced the end of his football career after another knee injury that he suffered during the Notre Dame game. Sad way to see him go out. What many people thought could be an amazing Virginia Tech player, potentially. Some thought that he had the talent and the skill to eventually make his way up to the next level in the NFL. But he'll always be remembered, at least by me, as the guy that went back on the field in the Notre Dame game that helped us. He didn't have a lot of yardage, but he went back out because he wanted to win that game. And he said as much to Fuente. He didn't tell anybody that he knew he had... He had torn the ACL, didn't tell anybody when he went back out there and Fuente asked him about it the next day. He said, yeah, yes, sir. I just wanted to win. So a big hat tip to that guy. Cheers. My lasting memory of Marshawn will be when he made that cut and ran into the end zone against Ohio State in the horseshoe. It was a really important touchdown at that point in the game, but that's what I'll remember about him. And it is, it's a bummer. You know, him and Shy McKenzie, they were going to be the next untouchables, you know? That's what it kind of felt like when they got to campus, two four-star running backs in the same recruiting class. Marshawn, so impressive <clears throat> leading into the season and Shy impressing in his first couple games, and they both, their knees just, they weren't good to them. And um, Shy's moving on. To another school and, and Marshawn's moving on from football but uh they were they were fun to watch for the brief time we got to watch them and that was one of my news and notes there's a couple other things I want to talk about before we get into the signing day recap uh and one is just the basketball team if you were watching the UVA game last night I'm sorry it didn't go very well it went a lot like the UNC game did the week prior and although we got some nice wins against Georgia Tech and Clemson Nothing has been pretty lately. I think you'd probably agree with that. And we're we're staying with the, the teams that are mediocre and we're beating them. And we're just getting trounced by the really good teams. And the really good teams are really good. They're top 10 teams in UNC and UVA. But that game last night was hard to watch. Yeah, I think you would agree that at the beginning of the season, our, our speed, the way that they moved the ball around, it was – it was it was on point and very unique, but teams have adapted to it a lot. They've figured it out and they've schemed against it, at least from the offensive side of the ball. And UVA, call them what they will, you will, but they're a great defensive team. Our size is just so bad, and just we got to fix it up. Losing Blackshear was a huge hit, and the rebounding is is atrocious at this point. I don't. I don't even know if we even scrounged a way to get into the tournament. That a way that we could get past, you know, the sixty-four. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's that's not really what I'm worried about. I just want to get in, and that's still a very much a possibility. Although I'm getting more nervous with with each game that goes by, and the perimeter and in, inside defense just looks worse and worse. I'm not sure what's going on with Ahmed Hill right now. His even his shots not right, and his D's not right. Um, our tournament hopes aren't in jeopardy yet. If we go 500 in ACC play, I still think we'll get in. We need this week off because there's no game this weekend, which is pretty rare at this point in the season. We need this week off to, to get our minds right, get focused and go down to Miami and play them. Well, even if you don't win, you need to play that team well, because they're not that great. If you win, that would be really good for us. Getting a road win in the ACC is never easy, and it would get us one win closer to that nine and nine record that I that I set as a goal for us. Uh, I guess in our season preview a while back, we'll see. But I, I just 
pray that we can get into the tournament. It would be huge for the program, huge for Buzz, huge for the drive for 25, which is which is chugging along. I heard Witt say on the uh, signing day live that we're up to 12,000 members. Yeah, because I went on, and if they're not updating that, I'm going to be pissed. I went on to the Drive for 25 website because they had what started off as a really nice interface there showing by state, and it was uh, you know the orange, maroon, how, how much progress we were making by state. And the number there was still showing high 10,000s. So I really just hope that they're keeping that updated because 2,000 is more, you know, we started at about 10,000, which would only, you know, say that we've added 1,000 members. And a lot of people on various web boards were kind of pissed off that it was taking this long to even get more than 1,000. So 2,000 is nice. And that also is, I think they're tracking hokey club members if i'm not mistaken not donations so some people are just making donations not necessarily so i think that's getting included in in wits numbers but i hope it's true the next thing i had was sam rogers playing in the senior bowl and he had what seemed to be and what the articles i read was a good week of practice i watched some of the stuff on nfl network and he seemed to hold his own in every drill he didn't drop any passes from what i saw uh, and in the game, he only got one carry and one catch, but pro football focus rated all the players and he re- received the second highest offensive grade in the entire game on either team. They said, quote unquote, he was a lead blocking machine. So I, even on the plays where he wasn't, you know, carrying the football or catching the football, he was apparently blocking his ass off. So that's really nice to see first in the game in terms of the, uh, Offensive rating was Zay Jones, someone we know from ECU, and he is a stud. He just made himself a lot of money at the Senior Bowl. He had two really fantastic catches, and I don't know if people know this about Zay Jones. He's the all-time leading receiver in FBS history for a career, and he set the single-season record for catches this past year with like 158, which was double what Isaiah Ford had. So (laughs) he's he's a catching machine. That's just a side note on Zay Jones, but... He should go in the top 100 picks in the draft. As for Sam, I think he'll be drafted, but I think it'll be late. I would say rounds five or later is where I think he'll go. It's it's a question of what position is he going to play. I guess he's a fullback, right? But not a lot of teams play a fullback. It should be interesting to see. I just hope he gets drafted. It'll be awesome. Yeah, the fullbacks become the dodo bird of the NFL. It just doesn't really exist. In fact, it, in a lot of even at the college level, it, it doesn't exist as much as it used to. But I was only I did, I didn't watch the game just to be truthful. But I did watch some of the practice and the film on that. And I'm not a I'm not a blocking guru. Uh, I, you know, I'm not French that that stares at, at what's happening on the perimeter. But during the drills, he was blocking, you know, really, really well, and it stood out to me to the point that I actually noticed. As exciting as that can possibly be, <laughs> so watching right. people block. <laughs> blocking tape, <laughs> but it stood out to me. And then when Pro Football Focus came out and said that happened during the game, it was kind of exciting. I think he. I would agree with you. I think there's potential if somebody sees him in a, in a role, but there's he's just in in such a limited capacity for what is used in the NFL. It's sad, but it's cool that he's got a shot to go to the NFL, being a walk on. I mean, that's that's an awesome opportunity for him. Absolutely, and if he stays true to that, you know, he'll maybe go undrafted, get on a practice squad, work his way up, and then you know he'll be the best fullback in the league in a couple of years, you know, if he stays on the trajectory that he normally does. And with the Marshawn news of him leaving and obviously Sam graduating and shy leaving, I just wanted to make a note on the running back depth before we get into, uh, into what happened on signing day. And they're all going to, it's all going to kind of come together, but going forward, you know, now we have, all we have left is McMillan McLeese. And then it's a group of people's Fox, and DJ Reed. And I'm not sure Coleman Fox, I mean, I'm not even sure a lot of more casual fans would even know who he is. He wasn't a highly rated recruit, looked good in spring. It's going to be interesting to see who emerges at running back, especially with McMillan kind of having an up and down year. But that Marshawn Williams departure, I think is a little bit bigger than I thought it would have been uh, when I looked at the depth chart afterwards. Yeah, I 100% agree. 
DJ Reed had a nice spring game. I think he towards the end of it last year. But other than that, I heck, I don't know if people would know about him. him never mind Fox. He right. he could be a talent on the field. I liked McLeese, but it seems like things are you know not progressing the way that I would have expected to, given a lot of the commentary about how shifty he is. He's kind of a um, a unique back. I mean, he had the injury that that basically knocked him out. He would have played a lot more, I feel like, this year had he not gotten hurt. Right, and and McMillan, I I don't I don't know in year one of Fuente's scheme, and Fuente does want to run the ball. What what was keeping us from doing that? I have an idea, and it includes you know some of the some of our performances on the offensive line that I think are going to improve greatly this year in particular. But it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough year. It's going to be a, I think a rebuilding year unless McMillan comes out and has himself a 2015 season. So real quick before we uh, talk about. Not just signing day, but the events leading up there too. You seem to be drinking something interesting over there. You got a you got a cool can I can see. Uh, we're skyping right now. What are you drinking? I've been on the hunt for some good beers, and I went to uh, Aslan Brewing, which is in Herndon, Virginia. And these guys blew up. They're you know shooting up the ranks on Beer Advocate or wherever you like to look for good beers. There was a, a line on the, their new release of beers that was about 250, 300 people long. It was about an hour wait during the middle of the workday that, that we jetted over there, me and a, a coworker. And I picked up two of their beers. One of them was Bringing Sexy Back. How about that? I mean, that's a good name. Yeah, that's what that can is awesome looking. Yeah, and it's... 6.4%, and it's very much, and this will be a consistent theme of the new New England-style IPA, where they're overly, it's got a good hop back to it, but there are a lot of fruit flavors into it. It's kind of become an, almost its own class in IPAs, and this will be the first of three for that. So if you haven't if you haven't touched or dabbled on that new style of beer and you like IPAs or double IPAs, I would highly suggest it. And I'll have a couple more coming up. But it's a great beer. And this brewery is is killing it right now at Herndon. And, in fact, they had to shut down their tasting room because they had, like, 600 people there at one point, And the fire marshal came and shut them down. So oh they, they don't have a tasting room anymore because they can't. So they're looking for a new location. Great brewery. Great beer. Yeah, that New England-style IPA, like, real cloudy-looking IPAs with kind of a brighter color. You see them all over the place now. I was just down in Richmond, and, and Vale had a ton of those uh, on tap. And it seems like everywhere I go, that's the new thing. And I wouldn't say it's my favorite style of IPA, but it depends on on what the flavor is. Um, I I have enjoyed some, and I haven't enjoyed some. So January for the Hokies was an excellent, excellent recruiting month. If you were following our recruiting, it wasn't so hot up until that point. We only had maybe two four stars committed, according to some services, and one of them was uh, was Capehart, who we'll talk about in a little bit here. But in January, we got great news right on day one from Nathan Proctor. He committed New Year's Day. A week later, we got Jabril Glaze, who's a defensive tackle, and we really picked up steam at the end of the month. And if unless you live under a rock, you know that Devin Hunter committed on Jan- Friday, January twentieth. And from that point, from that Friday through the weekend, we got four commitments uh, in four days, including linebacker Dylan Rivers, defensive lineman Robert Porcher, and cornerback Bryce Watts. And we seemed like our recruiting was on a rocket ship. There was all these news of other guys that are going to commit, and it sounded like we might take 30-plus guys in this in this class. But a week later, we got Taiwan Garbett to recommit to the program, uh, wide receiver slash defensive end, and he had been committed about a year ago, decommitted over the summer, and we got him to recommit, which was huge. And that kind of capped the incredible run we had in January. As for signing day itself, it didn't go like some of us had hoped. We didn't get any more commitments, and we actually had a decommitment of the wide receiver, Taj Capehart, who went to Maryland. Actually, that wasn't even a decommitment. He just kind of left and just signed with another school. At no point did he say, I'm reopening my commitment. 
Um, I don't want to get into the Capehart stuff. Something having to do with the visit and, you know, whatever. There's a lot of conflicting stories out there. Uh, I know you really don't want to talk about it either. As for the most important things that happened with regards to recruiting, I think number one has to be the Hunter commitment. By far. That was... You and I talked about it. We obviously spent a lot of time texting back and forth signing day before signing day about recruits. And that, I I feel like that breaks the dam, if you know what I mean, right? There was this wall. It certainly did for that weekend. Yeah, for (laughs) for Sweat and, you know, Naughty and these these players that have been from in-state that ended up going to Alabama and FSU and, uh, you know, our our backyard was getting, you know, raided by gnomes. We we finally landed the person that we should have, and it's a, our number one target. Our number one target, a testament to the the recruiting staff, Fuente, Foster, everybody putting their effort in, and it's been said enough. But he's a huge land, and if you watch his film, even if you watch Huddle, and you can tell that he's a talent out there, and it was a huge pickup, and I feel like. All the effort that was put into the statement 17 kind of paid off in in that. Did we keep, you know, 10 out of 20 of the top? No, we didn't. But we got the guy that we wanted. Right. And getting our number one target and a five-star guy, according to Scout, uh, that's the only service he was a five-star, but it was a high four everywhere else. Uh, it's, it's huge. And not only because he's the best player in the class, but he's from the 757. Perception-wise, this is really big for Tech. Cam Chancellor was at his freaking commitment ceremony, which was pretty cool. He had the Enter Sandman going, and you know, did the Tech reveal, and it was it was cool. And um, the fact that Cam showed up was really cool too. It's just really encouraging to see that we can go after a top-notch recruit and actually bring him into Tech. Because, like you said, the misses over the years with Hand and Sweat and Naughty other in-state guys that we really, really wanted and we just couldn't get. This hopefully starts to change that tide. Two other things that stood out to me were the recommitment of Garbit. How often do guys, you know, open up their recruitment and then recommit to the same school? I I can't recall it happening to us at any point, and we've had a number of guys open their recruitment. I feel like, and this is something that. Uh, that Joe and Brian Marcolini uh, did on the last Key Play podcast, they pointed this out. It's like, how many guys ever recommit? It, it doesn't happen often. That's a testament to the coaches and their recruiting prowess because that is not easy to do. And the other one was the flip of Dylan Rivers, the four-star linebacker who was committed to Penn State for over a year. He's from Virginia. He's definitely the best linebacker in the state this year. And... um Getting him at a position that we desperately need depth at and flipping him from James Franklin, who's noted to be an ace recruiter, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. That is that is huge and shows you that, you know, we we might have we might be able to like hold our own when it comes to recruiting guys who are trying to leave our own backyard. Yeah, I agree. I mean on your I'll hit I'll hit two points and so we can keep it moving forward. On Hunter and I think that that was – he's a very – he's just so physical. Like you watch the, the film of him and it's actually super impressive, which is tough to do with high school recruiting videos, which are taken from a mile away, I feel like. Um, I think he has kind of an Alabama mentality, which he's not just trying to get the ball. He's trying to get the ball and then get a touchdown, which I was really impressed with. On – Dylan Rivers, his size is he he plays even more he plays larger than he is in height or weight or any of those other things. And I think he can put even more weight on. He's got a big frame to him. And uh, what I liked was, you know, he can a few of his his blocks were just really nasty. He he kind of went out there. Uh, if you watch the end of his huddle video. He he picked some dude up and maybe tossed him like two yards backwards. And I think he is a guy that could make a real 
difference for VT in that program. And he seems pretty heady and kind of understand what's going on and can read things well. Maybe he overcommits a little bit, but I I was really impressed by by what I saw. From the Rivers tape was interesting. You know, he he was seemingly just lighting people up left and right. Um, and you're right. When you watch high school film, you don't know, like, all right, is this like the smallest school in the conference that he's lighting up these kids? Or is this, you know, a really high end school? Regardless, when you watch enough of the film, you know, Rivers definitely stands out. But it, Hunter, I agree with you with the touchdown thing. It just seemed like every time he had the ball, he's really, really fast. Great vision in the open field when returning an interception or a kickoff or something like that. Uh, I heard recently um, someone was tweeting about Holman Wiggins speaking at the Clarendon Ballroom tonight. And uh, he was saying that they might even have a package for Hunter on offense next year, which I wouldn't doubt. I also wouldn't doubt if he returned some kicks. I mean, we did it with D Hall back in the day. I don't know what if the risk reward with putting your best player in kick or punt returns, but it wouldn't shock me whatsoever with uh, Hunter returning some kicks next year because his speed and vision are great. And I think he'll be a fantastic Rover and a starting Rover. When the time comes, we have good depth at safety right now, at least in terms of the rover position, Terrell Edmonds was was awesome last year, but Hunter's going to play a lot. He's he's going to play a lot at, at, in the in the defensive backfield at some position at some point. He's too talented not to, and he'll probably only be at Tech for three years because he's just that good. My my note was liter verbatim. I highly doubt Foster would be a fan of doing this, but I think the kid could play multiple roles similar to what Jabril Peppers does at Michigan. And that's been a something that's that's not hidden knowledge. People have talked about that, but he's just too talented to take him off the field. Right. In terms of Garbit, the third guy we mentioned, uh, his he's obviously recruited as an athlete, and a lot of people project him as a defensive end. But most of his tape was him making sweet catches, like. Like he's a big guy. I want to say six three, two twenty, maybe six four, two fifteen. Yeah, he's and, listed out on. Yeah, he, he he goes up and he gets the football. He has really good speed for a big guy, and I, I don't know. I I'm with. We took a lot of wide receivers, and that's the thing about this class in general. You know, it's pretty balanced class, but it's heavy on pass catchers and front seven players. I would say. And there's a lot of guys, whether it's Pimpleton or Savoy or Farley, there's a lot of wide receivers, but Garbett could potentially be the best one of all of them. He's a really good pass catcher. I wouldn't be surprised if they kept him at wide receiver. There's a lot of defensive linemen in this class too, so it gives you that flexibility. We also have a bunch of young DNs that are currently playing on the team. So... I don't know. Garbett's film offensively was was really impressive to me. More impressive than his defensive film. Yeah, I <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So I I probably watching his film because he's a big guy. He's not that fast. He's not that flashy. I probably learned the least about him from watching his film. And on the defensive side of the ball, I I wasn't all that impressed other than the fact that he doesn't give up on plays. You know, he was he was chasing down quarterbacks, you know, for for as long as it took to take him down. But on the offensive side of the ball, he he was pretty exciting, but the 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 flash isn't there and it doesn't need to be there sometimes. Sometimes you can be and I'm not comparing him to whatsoever Bucky Hodges, but sometimes Bucky Hodges wasn't a flashy player. He was just a big dude that could go up, get the ball, and fall down on the ground, and it worked. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. But I, I still came away being impressed with his size and ability to go up and get the football and and with how big he is, just the the breakaway speed he would – he would get away from some of the defensive backs that I wouldn't have expected. All right, so let us let me give a quick overview before we go into some of the other players. And that was just in terms of the numbers and ranks from the services. And I, I, we've got, I've got four services here, Rivals, ESPN, Scout, and 247. 
And Rivals had us the lowest at 30th. And say what you will, they've been in, in this for a long time. They, I feel like their quality might be going down a bit. But they've been doing this the longest of any of the services, I want to say. And they had us as the 30th ranked recruiting class. ESPN had us at 25. Scout had us at 20. And the 247 in-house rankings had us at 16th, which was really impressive. We came in at 25th in the composite, which if you look at the average of these, that seems about right. Um, It was a, I guess you could say, a consensus top 25 class. And that's refreshing based on where we've been uh, with the success we had this year. I like the way that 16 looks from 247 Sports. That would seem to be more in line with where we should be headed based on our success, based on the young coach, him being there for a little bit over a year and getting his feet wet in the state. And the fact that he didn't have to change defensive coordinator, so you still have the, the same pipelines that Bud has opened up. I am hoping that 247's recruiting uh, gurus are better than the other ones because they have us the highest and I hope they're the most accurate. Well, to your point, uh, a 247 composite, which takes into account all the major, you know, recruiting groups had us at 25. So I think we're all comfortable at saying that it's a top 25 class, or at least I am. And knowing that 247, you know, I think unequivocally is better than most of them out there. ESPN has probably surpassed rivals at this point, which they just because they have more money and they've spent more time on it um, with that money. So I think, yeah, I 100% agree. The, the, the problem is, is in the comparisons. People want to compare this to prior classes, to the 2001. And obviously, if Capart was in the in the mix, then you could be – going either way on whether it's one of our best recruiting classes. But the recruiting services didn't even rate three stars before 2003. And 24-7 didn't start doing the composite until 2010. So all of this, while we think it's science at this point with how many people are out there doing it, the sample that you have for it isn't all that great. But I overall... I tend to believe, and everybody can have their own opinion, that 24-7 has figured this out and has made a business model and has effectively made that business model based on you know, their success out of getting it right at this point in time. Maybe 10 years from now, it's another, another you know, recruiting website. But I, I feel good about something around 16 to 25 yeah, let's uh, let's break it down in terms of the four stars. So we only had four four stars on Rivals, five on ESPN, but we had nine according to 247's rankings. And those four stars included Hunter, uh, Garbit, the guys we already talked about, Rivers, and then also uh, Drake Delius, Farley, Dalton Keene, Proctor, Hooker, and uh, – Silas Zansi, who I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who prepped for a year and is an offensive lineman. So nine four-stars, by my count, is more than we've ever had in any class on any service since these services came to be. So to me, that's very impressive, but that is only one service that, that rated all those nine, and it was significantly more than any of the other ones. So take it with a grain of salt, but it's something to think about. I think maybe back in – I'm going to mess up the year, but – Sometime in the mid two thousands, uh, we had eight four stars in a class, and that was the most we had ever had. It's probably a five, and, I'm guessing. And um, and we have nine, technically nine this year. Now, as soon as they get on campus, you know, you can throw the stars in the trash. But this is what we're going on right now. This is a signing day recap episode. We're going to talk about the stars. We're going to talk about the services and how they rate them. ESPN also called our running back recruit. Jalen Holston, a four-star, which no one else had called him a four-star, but they did. And I watched some of his film, and it doesn't jump right out at you, but you can tell this guy's a stud. He's another big guy. They have him listed as 220. Tech had him listed on National Signing Day. His recruiting services had him at 200, 207. But he's a big guy, has good speed for his size, doesn't shy away from contact, one-cut type runner, 
will put out a stiff arm and he he can juke you but he he's not a shifty guy. You would never say he's he's, you know, a shifty type of guy. Good vision, powerful, good balance, can catch out of the backfield with the departures and this is what we were talking about earlier and the running back depth. Holston is going to have every opportunity to play next year and if he impresses in fall camp, you can guarantee he'll be getting carries by midseason for sure. I agree with that. And it's also surprising that and it's either a testament to what they believe in him, but what we just talked about with Marshawn and, and Shy and our depth. I know in terms of numbers, it seems like we may be deep at running back, but in terms of people that that us outsiders feel like we can put on the field, it seems a little thin to only be bringing one in, which to me, well, they're bringing in Wheatley as well, right? But he's he might play defense. Ex- you know, we don't exactly. Know. So I guess my point is is that there was a very targeted, it seemed, approach to the recruiting class, and including a running back, which you know, a lot. Of, there was a lot of speculation last year about why McMillan wasn't getting more carries, why you know things were happening, why we were rotating running backs. This gives me a little bit more confidence that Fuente at least feels comfortable for the next season about what we can do, that we're only bringing in one guy. And, you know, that that makes me feel a little bit better. This absolutely was a guy the coaches desperately wanted. Like, they they were targeting this running back out of Georgia and Jalen Halston, and they got him. Thank God, I guess, because, like you said, they were a little thin, and we only really have one true running back coming in. So I kind of see what you mean. And and the more I look at this class, I kind of, you know, a guy who jumps out to me in that same type of role is Dalton Keene. You know, he, he was a guy that was a four-star. He's an early enrollee. He's already on campus. They did an interview with him on signing day. And uh, he's going to be the H-back. And that's someone that Fuente really didn't have last year, a true H-back in the way he likes to use them. Uh, so we kind of... We're doing some different things uh, with Sam Rogers and Peoples and Chris Cunningham and Bucky all trying to fill that role in various ways. But he didn't have a guy. I guess I think the guy at Memphis was Alex Cross, if I'm not mistaken. French wrote a nice article on him. He didn't have that guy last year. And I absolutely believe that Dalton Keene is that guy for him this year. And I would expect him to play a lot. He blocks. He can catch. Big guy, I I would uh, I would expect Keen to be to be a big time player for us and play basically the next four years in Fuente's offense. Well, he did travel across the country to come join us from Colorado, so that was <laughs> true, true. Uh, I'm trying to think of where we should go next here. We've got we did a couple other profiles. We we both watched tape on I guess what the top you know six to seven guys according to two four seven and then a few ones other here and there and i'm wondering if you had anyone that really really jumped out to you when you watched the film i think i i hit most of the guys just at the high level um but you know nathan proctor i didn't i didn't see him as the fastest guy um, around the edge when he was he was playing, but he's really you know a physical guy, long arms, so he can he can get off blocks um, really well. Was one that I had, and I'll just rip through them, and then you can give me your thoughts. The uh, the guys that are already on campus, I mean that's part of the recruiting class. Hendon um, Hooker, I I finally watched his his huddle film. He has a really quick release, like really fast, which I picked up on. Um, and you know, not being somebody that looks for that every day, you know, it just kind of came out in a, in a pretty big arm. He has a kind of a, a, a nice arc to the ball, the, the way that he throws it, um, could be a dangerous arc if, if it's not on point because it's got a little wind under it, but it, it seems to end up in the right place. Good vision, but wasn't, I wasn't as impressed with his running coming in as a dual threat, but, um, you know, he, he still finds holes, but it's at the high school level. Right? There's nothing that blew me away there. And it was really his his kind of vision, his arm, and throwing some tough passes off the scramble I thought was, was pretty unique. And then Farley, I thought he had – he seemed really fast. And at one point I thought they were speeding up the tape a little bit. 
but he's he's got some some wheels on him, and it's unexpected. And a lot of times, it's in the you know the open field, and he can cut like hell. He was juking out people uh, left and right, and he seems to be running. You know, when he was on the field, a little kind of upright, but he he seemed like he's a talented, athletic dude that can you know take on some hits and and make plays happen. Yeah, let me hit both of those. Uh, Cornelson loves Hooker. He was v- very complimentary of that release that you're talking about. And the fact that he's already there and that we lost our starting QB, he's absolutely going to be in this quarterback race. It is not a foregone conclusion that Josh Jackson will be the starter. I personally believe that will be the case. A lot of people do. But Hooker is a really talented guy, a four-star on a couple different services, that could start for Tech next year. Now, starting a true freshman isn't terribly common. I don't know if Fuente's going to want to do it. But if he's the best guy, he will start. That's what, And that's what I would assume. As for Farley, that is absolutely the number one guy that just jumps off the film to me. Blazing speed. And like you said, it did look like they were, they were speeding up the tape because he is just that fast. Just pulling away from every single person on the field. The cutting back across the grain made some nice catches, but he is a total yards after catch kind of guy. Something that we didn't really have in our wide receivers. Cam really brought it on strong at the end of the year, but Farley to me, since he's already on campus, going to be in spring practice, that kid's going to play next year. He's going to play a lot, and hopefully he has an Isaiah Ford-type freshman year where he's just contributing all over the field, making tons of catches. He could be he could be a stud. I, I, I love Caleb Farley. That is my number one guy in terms of impact for next year. All right, it's time for a quick beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? So right now I am having another one of my – beers that I had to hunt down, which is the Melter Street uh, Double Dry Hopped IPA. It's from Trillium Brewing Company out of Boston. Oh, you fancy. Massachusetts, that's right. This one is another one that I had to have. Uh, I, I, I've got a, a, a guy that has family back up in Boston, so when he comes back, he he brings beer or he has his relatives send it down to us. And this one is... Really good. Trillium, you can't get, I guess, outside of... They have two locations up in Boston. One's in Canton, Mass., I think, and one's in downtown Boston. And it's good. It's. I'm trying to get a feel for it because I'm rolling through IPAs right here, but it's a lot lighter, a lot less fruity than, say, um, like a Treehouse would be or the beer that I just had from Aslan. Very good, balanced. If you're even being a double, if you're not that into IPAs but want to test them out, I would say this one would actually be a more balanced beer, even though it's a double dry hopped, than it would be going for you know, one of the pure New England style IPAs that have a, a lot more chalkier flavor, a lot heavier with the fruit and with the, the big hop hit to them. I'm drinking the Breckenridge Brewery Vanilla Porter. <clears throat> I had this not too long ago, and it's uh, it's pretty good. This is the second or third time I'm having it, and it's not really heavy on the vanilla. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would have preferred to maybe be just a little bit more vanilla, but it's got kind of a nutty flavor, and I like a good porter, especially this time of year. It's, you know, the dregs of the winter, and... Uh, a heavier porter is 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 welcome. The uh, vanilla porter from Breckenridge Brewery. I'm not seeing a uh, an alcohol on here, but it's uh, five and five point four percent. It's on the lighter side. I'd recommend it though. The vanilla porter from Breckenridge Brewery. Robbie, I just gave you my number one impact guy for next season. I want to ask you if you could give me maybe a top three of your highest impact guys for. Tech season next year. Who do you think they'd be from this recruiting class? That's tough because it's you know it, it's so amorphous in the way that we're looking at high school tape, like we already mentioned. But Hunter's obviously going to be one. That's 
goes without discussion. I think he will see the field probably starting with the WVU game next year. After that, I like your thoughts and my thoughts, and we didn't collude on this. And in fact, you know, I didn't I didn't read a whole lot. I did read some about the players, but I kept my notes the same. Farley sounds like a really exciting player from what I saw on on film, you know, what you just said and your excitement about him. So I'll go with Farley as number two, which means we're probably gonna be the same. And three, I don't know if people are gonna like this one as much, but I like Dylan Rivers. In terms of, and I'm looking at four stars, obviously, and 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 what those are going to do for for the team. But he was the one that I think either he's playing against the smallest guys I've ever seen, but was the most physical and had attributes that I think could bring him onto the college field and make him more most successful in coming out of high school and then trying to jump on jump on the field right away. And I understand that position is going to be interesting next year, but I think he's a talent that can, can do, do a lot for Virginia Tech. Yeah. Rivers is, is an interesting one because he's got the athleticism to, to me, to maybe be a backer, but in a perfect world, you'd play him at Mike. Uh, But Kearney is another incoming freshman. He's going to be at Mike and he has a lot of, what would seem like really good Mike skills as well. What is the nice thing to have in this class is there seems to be a lot of guys who can play linebacker at a high level. We've already got, you know, Tremaine Edmonds and Andrew Motuapuaka who are entrenched in the starting roles and they'll continue to be so. But after that, there's not a lot of depth. You've got Devontae Beckett who will probably be a backer behind Tremaine and behind Motu though, Camp is going to miss the spring, I think. He's got another injury. So Rivers and uh, Kearney, who's also going to miss the spring, even though he's an early enrollee, he's having shoulder surgery, those two guys are going to have opportunities to be in the two deep and potentially even play, like you said, if, if they go down or need a, need a break or whatever it may be. Rivers is an interesting choice. I wouldn't pick that only because Motuapuaka has uh, – Played well, he's a senior, and he's been relatively healthy, knock on wood. So if I had to give you mine, I, I said Farley's number one. Hunter was my number two. Keen is my number three because I think he's going to immediately play a lot of snaps in that H-back role. Number four to me would be Jalen Holston, the running back guy. Um, I, I already said the coaches really liked him. They're very high on him. We need depth at running back. We'll see what McMillan, you know, if he improves upon last year, if he falls in Fuente's favor a little bit more than last year. But Holston, he's gonna have his he's gonna have a shot for snaps, and he's big enough right now to play college running back. So he was my number four. And I have three other kind of more wild card guys. That's Pimpleton, another early enrollee. Smaller guy, but he's kind of the X factor to me. Khalil Pimpleton, fast guy, jet sweep kind of guy. Uh, he is everything that Dion Newsom could have been. That's that. Dion Newsom was someone I was really high on. He's my player to break out. Maybe last year or the year before, I can't even remember. Maybe both. But Pimpleton could be that X factor, a guy who can catch, run out of the backfield. Uh, the, your smaller type of guy. Drake Delius is a guy we haven't talked much about, but Fuente kind of lit up when he talked about him on National Signing Day Live the other day. I love Delius's potential. Uh, he was – I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right or spelling it right. It's the most complicated name ever to to look at and, and spell, but it's uh, Delius maybe. But to me, he's a more polished version of Bucky Hodges coming out of high school because Bucky was a quarterback. And they kind of turned him into a tight end slash wide receiver. Drake uh, Delius, he's a he's a wide receiver already, and maybe he turns into a tight end. He's six six two two fifteen, I want to say. But his hands are great. His route running seems really good. I think he's going to be someone that plays a big role going for us, forward and as soon as next year. And the last guy would be Lasita Smith, and. Um, 
he is a massive, massive tight end, someone who may end up being an offensive lineman down the road. A lot of people have said that. Uh, so we'll see. But he could get on the field just because on bigger sets, he could provide you immediate blocking help. So Lasita Smith, and with how important blocking is to Fuente, that, that's why I said he could be. He's on my list as a guy who could impact for next year. And, and the biggest question mark is maybe Hooker's number one because maybe he's our starting QB. We don't know. But he could easily be a number one impact guy if he wins the starting QB. You job. mean A.J. Bush? Is that what, That's your number one? A.J. <laughs> Bush, the transfer from mm-hmm. Community College who went to Nebraska? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another QB that will be uh, in the mix uh, coming mm-hmm. up here. So we, we've got a couple guys. I don't expect Bush or the transfer from Kansas to win the starting job. But they're they're fall camp bodies, right? <laughs> hey, they they like AJ Bush's talent. But I think it was a good pick. You need some you need some maturity on the team, and that's why I think it was a really heady play for for Kenielsen and and for Fuente to go pick him up because it, if nothing else, go look back at what happened with Motley. That maturity actually does mean something, and it meant a lot to the team. And if you Fuente in his his press yesterday when they was doing it on the Hokey Vision or whatever the heck it was, he said, you know, what mattered to the offense last year? And I believe the number one thing he said was Sam Rogers, which Sam Rogers production, call it what it is, was not that outstanding over his tenure. His leadership, I think, meant more than 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 anything else. So getting a senior year a more senior guy on the team that's been there, done that, even if it's not been the most successful outcome, I think is really important. Yeah, and it gives you the ability, if for some reason Hooker doesn't seem ready or whatever, uh, you can redshirt him, you know, because you're going to need a backup quarterback. And we didn't have anybody. There just wasn't – I mean, Jack Click's on the team, but you needed you needed another guy. So bringing in Bush was was smart. I'm not sure if you have any other notes on the uh, class. I have one other thing written down. We were the fourth-ranked class, according to the 247 composite, in the ACC. And it was behind FSU, Miami, and Clemson. And that's probably where we'll be going forward. I would imagine that the Florida schools, Miami and Florida State, are going to consistently be right there with us or ahead of us. Clemson, the fact that they just won a national title and seem to be a new powerhouse – they're probably going to be ahead of us. But fourth has nothing to sneeze at. Ahead of you know Pitt, ahead of North Carolina, Louisville, that's where we should stay uh, if, if, if we're going to compete with the big boys. Hopefully there's a year here and there that we're ahead of Miami, that we're ahead of Clemson, that we're ahead of Florida State. But it's not going to happen on a consistent basis, not with all the talent down in Florida and not with the way Dabo's got that thing up and running. So I'm happy to be fourth. It's, it's where we should be. It's where we're at right now. So – you know, all systems go on that front. Do you have any final notes on the recruiting class? Not on the class. I think I think we've covered it pretty in depth. I would say just kind of you know chiming on, and it's something that I'm going to be putting out there is just thoughts on what recruiting means anyway. You know, just it, it, whether it's something that you should be paying attention to or care about, or if you want to shrug off because you're the 50th ranked recruiting class and you think you can perform better than that people were saying that there's no chance of of winning a national championship unless you're just throwing out top 10 recruiting classes every year which at face value i agreed with but i got to thinking well what about playing for a national championship can you at least get a hail mary hope at doing it so i started running a bunch of analytics and interestingly there's a lot of ways to cut this but the recruiting classes for the national champion are consistently in the top five to nine almost every year on an average for the past, I guess that would be 15, 15 years, 14 years. The national champion loser, the runner-up, usually averages around 15 or 16 or 17 in the nation over the last year, the last two years, the last three years, last four years, a four-year running average. Give me a statistic, and I've run every possibility on this. Clemson, leading up to them winning the, the national championship, was, I think it, it came out to be 
like 17th, 15th, and 15th in their, you know, their two years ago, three years ago, four years ago recruiting class. So I think what, as Hokie fans, we should be thinking about is you want to break the top 20. That's that. That's the key, you know, and that's really the takeaway that I got. And I'll post this. I'll tweet it out that people can look at and analyze and over scrutinize whatever they want to do. But you you got to be in that range. That's interesting. I I know last year you had run some numbers on the necessity for a top ten recruiting class to win the national title. But I think there is. There are certain differences, and Clemson is a good representation of that. You said they've been averaging, you know, in the mid-teens, but I think last year and maybe the year before that, they had taken a step up. They correct? were number nine. Yeah, that's right. Right. Of twenty-four on twenty. And, like I said, I I go with twenty-four-seven at this point. So they were. It was eleven. Well, let's start from four years ago. They went fifteenth to seventeenth to nine to eleven. And their one of their biggest impact players last year was Dexter Lawrence, the number two overall recruit in the country. Part of that, you know, basically top ten recruiting class, and he was a huge factor for them. And that and that's really what it comes down to. You need to recruit at a high level consistently, and then if you can pop a year or two and get those freshmen or sophomores that can contribute basically right away and take you over the top, that's where we kind of have to aim. Because it's going to be really, really difficult for Tech to consistently pull in top 10 recruiting classes. Can we consistently get top 20, top 17, top 15? It's possible. It's going to be difficult, but it's possible. 247 had us at 16 this year. So maybe we're on our way. But that's interesting. And, and it's it shouldn't be disheartening that we that we need to, you know, improve that much. It should just that's just the way that it is. But there are exceptions. Michigan State got to the playoff with without that kind of recruiting classes. Oregon got to the national championship with with fairly low recruiting Washington. classes under Chip Kelly. Washington made the playoff. So it can be done. You you just need a little bit of luck and you need a few guys to, you know, put you over the top. And one thing I really like about Tech's class is that I don't see I don't see a ton of misses. I, I feel like in years past, you could, yeah, that guy's just a body. This guy's just a body, whatever. But there are so many guys I can see contributing early that I see direct roles for that can do multiple different things, play multiple positions, which gives them all the more chance to catch on and play. That's the thing I liked most about this class. Uh, a couple of years ago, I want to say 2012 or 2013, we had a class like that. And that class was just, Juniors and seniors, I want to say, this past season when he won 10 games under Fuente. So there there are certain classes. It was the Isaiah Ford's class. That was the one. That one had a lot of players that people felt strongly about for specific roles. And and it's it's been really good for us. I feel the same way about this one. That's I might not be putting it as eloquently as I want to say, but I just don't see a lot of misses. That's what I'm trying to say. I agree. I think it was... There were there were pointed efforts to build depth in certain positions, and I think this year, because of our the the, the lack of recruiting of offensive tackle and the offensive line, more pointedly, is a concern for many people. But I think it's like this administration, <laughs> Fuente, is going to target what he wants to fill in. And then he's going to and do it in certain years. It's not going to be a spread around, uh, let's see if we can get one person from every position. It's going to be targeting what he thinks he needs to be successful. And the next year, that may leave you with a gap, but then he's going to target the next one. Yeah, I would expect us to take a lot of offensive linemen next year if we can. (laughs) All right, let's hit the schedule real quick before we do our last beer break and sign off. It was released uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe a week and a half, and uh, there's some interesting games on here. No Thursday nighters this year. That was kind of the big news. I'm okay with that as a working stiff that lives far from Blacksburg. Uh, two, taking two days off of work to go to a game is harder than just heading down on a Friday afternoon. 
So I like the a lot of Saturday games, and there is none bigger than the defending national champs coming to Blacksburg on September 30th. I find the positioning of that game really interesting, being the fifth game of the season with a relatively easy lead-up. That could create a lot of excitement for our football season. Yeah, I think the ACC had that in mind as well when they developed the schedule. They they want that to be a big game. It's the defending ACC championship game teams. That that September thirtieth could be a real a real money maker for them. I think they're going to get a lot of a lot of publicity, a lot of a lot more views than you would say otherwise. The way the Hokies have played, you know, call it the last four or five years. Um, disregarding last season. So I, I think it was a, a nice setup that I'm upset. You know, the Thursday night for me was always, you know, that, that was, I took off work. Well, me and my wife stayed the whole weekend down there and I got to be in Blacksburg and love Blacksburg and experience it the way that I always have. So that was a little disappointing, but wit is a, He's a heady guy. I mean, he he understands what it means to have games in October at home during the most beautiful season in, you know, in in the Blue Ridge Mountains. That that's what he does. Is he brings in revenue, he finds ways for the program to improve and if you're pissed about the Thursday night game, just keep in mind that it was also for a reason. He could have put the Thursday night game as ranked number one because they. I think he said they're allowed to have three different things that they can submit to the ACC as preference, and he didn't. And there was a reason for that. He's not a dumb guy. He's extremely intelligent. He understands what he's trying to do. He's trying to understand. You know, he understands what is needed for the program, and I think it was on purpose. And now we got September thirty with Clemson at home. And that's a good time. We got, we got that. It's going to be great. You're right. And it's beautiful. The drive down is beautiful that time of year. And the two home games at the end of October, like you were mentioning, North Carolina and Duke back-to-back weekends in late October. We have to go on the road for three out of our last four games. But one of them is at Virginia, which is just another home game for us. <laughs> and the But the last actual home game in Lane is Pitt, which we've played Pitt fairly early the last few years. Having that game later – an important coastal matchup on, you know, Pitt's going to be rebuilding a little bit offensively, I feel like, but they're going to be better defensively. That's going to be a tough game, and it should be an important game in the coastal. That That is a, a late November game for Virginia Tech Pitt. That's that's some nasty old-school Big East stuff. So that kind of – I kind of like that as so, well. So same with Miami. Uh, if you don't think that the ACC didn't kind of match up, didn't take into account what the coaching profiles look like right now, which programs are on the rise, which programs you know may not be, and didn't factor that into the schedule, then you're not paying attention. You look at Miami November 4th, and you look at Pitt two weeks later on the 18th, that was, that was for a reason. Right, they're trying to make the ACC Coastal more compelling to people that are watching, and right. they're putting their horses out there that they think are going to have a chance to have a matchup that it matters to people. So, you know, you can call them dumb, you can call them what you are, but they're business people at the end of the day. And in this particular case, it looks like the business case they put on the field in late November, early November was the right one. Yeah, the other. I guess the last thing I had was that Virginia game is on Black Friday, uh, which it was, I want to say, like two out of the last three years. This past year it wasn't. But I kind of like it being on Black Friday. Let's me watch that game and just be free on Saturday to watch other games. I don't know. There's not a whole lot about this schedule that is crazy interesting. The Clemson game is by far and away number one to me. And... um and that pit game being close to the end of the year. Clearly, we're opening the season against West Virginia. Uh, that's been known for a while, though, so that really wasn't you know something that we're just seeing now. But that is going to be a really interesting game. It should set the tone for the rest of the season. If we win that game, really good shot. We're 4-0 going into Clemson. So just imagine the excitement if we're a top 25 team Clemson will probably be a top 25 team, I would have to imagine. 
both undefeated heading into that game. That could be really, really exciting. Yeah, and then you got the 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 six games, and then the bye, and then six more games, which is the setup that I like most. And the way the games are set up actually works out even better. So, say you take the L against Clemson, right at home. Then you come back against Boston College. You get a chance to kind of gain momentum again, start to get you know your feet underneath you. You take a week, and then you're up against North Carolina, which is a big game. So it, I think it sets up actually really well for us. I know. It, it does look like a favorable schedule in terms of just the timing of everything <clears throat> right now. All right, quick, let's just do this real fast. What's your record prediction? Uh, not too much analysis, just, you know, what do you think we're going here? Uh, nine and three. So loss against – or sorry – I'll do losses first. Loss against Clemson, loss against Miami, loss against Georgia Tech. The rest wins. So that's Delaware, ECU, Old Dominion, BC, UNC. I think we give it to them again. Duke, Pittsburgh, and Virginia. That's slightly aggressive, and I know it's aggressive, which I usually don't do because we don't actually have a quarterback right now. But that's it. Because of the no quarterback assigned at this point and the loss of our uh, wide receivers, I'm going eight and four. I have losses to Clemson and Miami. I think Miami's going to be pretty good, especially defensively next year. But I put question marks next to WVU, Duke, Georgia Tech, and Pitt. I think we'll lose two of those games. That's West Virginia, Duke, Georgia Tech, and Pitt. I think we'll win two. I think we'll lose two. I don't know which ones, but I think we're going eight and four. That would have been easier for me to pick out games because I had at one point four on my. Yeah, we might split these four. And yeah, yeah. I had. To, I went. I went. Ga- probably I went the same ones that I picked. And I, was, uh, I probably did different. But that WVU game is going to be. They lost a lot too. I mean, that is. They did. Both teams are going to come in with maybe the offenses not firing, but both defenses being yeah. strong. It could be that could be a. 2017, 17, 13. And I'm not going to harp on any of the games in particular, but the reason that I went with us versus WVU is that's going to be a coach's game. Who, like, both both teams lost so much that it's going to be a motivation factor. And if you saw anything that happened with two teams named Arkansas and Notre Dame, Fuente knows how to motivate. And if it's in the second half, so be it. But that's the reason that I went the other direction there. Georgia Tech next year... Could be dangerous. They're gonna. I think they're gonna beat some teams that most people wouldn't expect them to going into it. All right. First schedule predictions out of the way. Robbie, what are you drinking? So right now I am drinking another beer that I had to steal from up in Massachusetts because evidently setting up a shop in the middle of the forest and having a shack and. You know, brewing beer there is the new the new thing and not distributing. So you have to have people go to some of these places to get beer for you is another treehouse beer. I had one on the podcast earlier. I had a actually my uh, brother in law went up to up to Boston, go see some of our our family, his family and brought it back. It's the green by treehouse. It's about seven point five percent. I think this one's ranked like up in like the top thirties in beer advocate or top 35 in beer advocate. So other people think of it pretty highly. I got to be honest. I I was expecting so much from it that I probably just psyched myself out. It is extremely, it's very, very good. But I think one of the other two that I had in my personal opinion would have been better. It's, um, not very flavorful. It's kind of a light bodied, nice, like IPA. And I've been psyching myself up for it for the better part of a month. And I, I, I mean, I can't go as high as I did with like the Julius, which I had from Treehouse, which I gave a five out of five. So it's very, very good, but I've had a lot of IPA tonight. So I don't know if this one's going to lock, you know, stack, stack up to the other ones. I am having the Uinta Risen Pine. Now, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this brewery right. U-I-N-T-A is how it's spelled. So it's Unita or Uinta 
But this Rising Pine is really, really good. It's a hoppy dark ale, as it's described, brewed with juniper and piney hops. And if you're a regular listener, you know that I like anything with a pine flavor in it. And there's a lot of beers these days that do that. And this is one of them. And it's it's really good. It kind of tastes it's like an outdoorsy type pine spruce type flavor in the beer. And it might not sound good to you, but it's it's really, really tasty. It's from Salt Lake City, Utah, 7.5% alcohol. The Horizon Pine by Unita. Okay, Robbie, I think that's going to do it for the podcast. We did a lot of beers. <clears throat> we did a lot of analysis on the recruiting class and on the schedule. So I think I think we covered it all. We're going to come back with a podcast in March, either on uh, just spring uh, workouts getting started, basketball odds and ends. If we make the tournament, we'll do a podcast on that for sure. But we're not going to go away for too long. Maybe Maybe in a month from now, you'll have another one from us. And then uh, we'll be getting into spring football. So we'll do our spring spring football preview at some point too. Thanks for listening. As always, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT, 2DeepVT at gmail.com if you want to send us any personal questions, comments, anything else. And if you want to write us an iTunes review, we always appreciate that too. Make sure you subscribe. We will be posting our podcast to the key play from here on out. Uh, we talked to Joe, and he gave us the okay, so you should look for our pods there as well. Robbie, do you have any last uh, things before we sign off? No. Thanks for everybody that listens, and we know there's a, a meaningful gap, but we don't want to overwhelm you with a bunch of, you know, not great information. So we're trying to we're trying to stay balanced in the off offseason um, and give you meaningful information with some insight. And as always, give us a review. It takes – Two seconds, and you can really just press five, you know, five stars, one star, two stars, whatever you think it is, and uh, submit. You don't really have to write anything. So take two minutes of your time, give us a review, and we'd really appreciate it. And until next podcast, go Hokies. Go Hokies.